And at the consecration, I saw Jesus. And I said, did you see that? She's like, what? And I said, that man up there on the stage. She said, that's the priest. I said, no, the guy next to him. Then I talked to other people and they said, no, they couldn't see that either. That it was just a grace given to me. Hey, my friends, many of you will have seen the interview with Zachary King, who was the Satanist, who became a Catholic. This is part two of that show. Fascinating story. He goes really in depth. And I do ask him some harder questions because so much of what he describes seems unreal. So I wanted to get to how, how did you commit abortions? It just not everybody does that. You can't just walk in and be part of abortion. Or can you? Take a look at this. This is Cardinal Burke talking in 2017 about demonic forces entering the church at that time in 2017. Hard to believe that so long ago. This was given at Rome Life Forum, a conference that LifeSite has been running since 2014, actually. Do you know that we're running another one this year, October 31st and November 1st? That is right at the end of this horrific Synod on Synodality. October 31st, November 1st, 2023. Come join us in Rome. Go to romelifeforum.com for more information. Watch Cardinal Burke give this snippet on demonic forces entering into the Vatican from his talk at Rome Life Forum in 2017. It seems clear from the most respected studies of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima that it has to do with the diabolical forces unleashed upon the world in our time and entering into the very life of the church. For the recovery of peace will be a gift from heaven, but it is not properly speaking the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Her victory is of another order, supernatural, and then temporal by addition. It will first be the victory of the faith which will put an end to the time of apostasy and the great shortcomings of the church's pastors. You got in as deep as you could possibly get. When you're the high wizard, you can't move into being the CEO and you can't be on the board of directors. So the high wizard, in a sense, is the top position once you're there. Once you have that position, you know, you can't go any higher. You know, if you were a regular satanic member, you might could become the CEO or the board of directors. You also, if you had that, you couldn't become the high wizard. You know, there was a while that I didn't have a passport and I was still able to travel all around the world without it. You know, I could do, I got to meet with the Queen of England, multiple presidents, diplomats, kings, royalty. Um, some of the princes in Saudi. Um, I was traveling the world and my job is just to do magic. You know, I show up looking like I do and they know what that job is. They know why I'm there. And I was a big deal. I mean, I got to party with rock stars. I made 1200 rock stars. You know, I go into, it's called the warehouse deal. You go to a warehouse in either Hollywood or LA and these people know why they're there that they've been told by their agent, their press agent, their uh, producer, director, you know, somebody in their organization has said, you want to be famous, you need to go to this event. 
you know, these events happen like every three to six months and go there, do what they tell you to do. If you really want to be famous, this is the way to do it. So these people show up. I show up. I've got an entourage with me. Some of my people write down names and keep track of who's there. So I walk through the room and it's a big room. There's certain stalls marked off. Some parts of the room are just open. And I ask, who wants to be famous? Everybody wants to be famous. So then I have to narrow it down a little bit more. What are you willing to do to be famous? Well, some people draw a line in the sand. They're like, well, I would do anything to be famous, but nothing with animals and nothing with children. Not who Satan wants. Satan wants the person that's willing to jump in the mud and be drugged through it. So if you'll tell me that you'll do anything, no matter what, and I'll say, give me an example. I had a guy tell me, if you put me in a room with a horse and a child, I would have sex with at least one of them. Okay. Here's what's called a tier two card. I hand it to them. It's a plain white card with a phone number on it. It's all it has. You call that number and they'll have you go somewhere and do something. Whatever they ask you to do, you do it. And I'll see you on MTV in six months. And I made 1,200 rock stars by doing that. Men and women, young and old. The guy that I gave it to that said, if you put him in a room with a horse and a child. When he first, when I first saw him, he couldn't sing. He couldn't dance. He couldn't write a song. He couldn't write poetry. Somebody at some point had left a Dr. Seuss book in this place. And I picked that up and handed it to him. And I said, read me that. And just before it rhymed, he closed the book and put it down and said, I don't get it. So he couldn't even make a Dr. Seuss book rhyme. But he went off and did whatever they told him to do. Because sooner than six months later, I saw him singing and dancing in one of the most popular boy bands of the 1990s. You must have been told this before. This sounds so fantastical. How how do you deal with people when they tell you that oh, this is, it's too hard to believe? Like, how, how are we supposed to believe that 1,200 rock stars, you, you made them by this thing? How does this work? What, what do they have to do? There's a documentary by Lady Gaga called Gaga 5.2. And in it, she tells a story about back before she was Lady Gaga and Huge, she was performing at a strip club. Like not stripping, she was, you know, doing her act. And at the end of the night, she exited the back of the strip club. And this guy approached her and said that he believed that he could make her famous. All she had to do was sell her soul to the Illuminati. And so she agreed to it, thinking, ah, this, you know, who's to say this isn't going to work? Maybe it will. She sold her soul to the Illuminati. And now she's Lady Gaga and one of the top performers of the world. If you look at videos on YouTube, you know, like in her uh, selling their soul to the devil, there's tons of performers that will say they did that. You know, uh, Katy Perry says that her parents were evangelists and she used to travel the country with them and she was singing and she was hoping to be the next Amy Grant, but that failed. 
So she sold her soul to the devil. That was on a regular broadcasted interview. Bob Dylan says that he sold his soul to the devil and he's keeping his end of the bargain by performing. You know, that was on 60 Minutes. And then even those that don't admit it in an interview sing songs about it. You are so steeped in this. You are so, like, seemingly gone in this world. How, how do you even think to escape, let alone escape, and then become a fervent Catholic? Eventually, I got tired of where I was, tired of what I was doing. You know, I partied with rock stars and, and with actors and with billionaires, millionaires. and and wannabes, you know, and doing all the stuff I was doing, I equated what I did with to working in a candy store and, and not um, a candy store in the mall, but a freestanding building, someplace that has like tens of thousands of pieces of candy in it. So, and all those pieces of candy are sins that exist in the world. So I'm thinking on my very first day on the job, how long is it going to take me to try every piece of candy now not the licorice because no one wants that but you know there are some sins that are disgusting i don't want to do those sins but all the sins i want to do how long will it take me to try all those well in six months i've tried every sin that i wanted to try and in a year i've tried the licorice too you know i've done things that i said i'd never do but i did them so you know i'm going through, doing everything, traveling everywhere. I'm doing the Bohemian Grove thing. I'm selling people's souls to the Illuminati. I'm meeting with people for axes. I'm splitting churches. And after about three years, I noticed that there's no new sins being made. There's nothing new that I can do. How come my boss can't make a new sin? And then a new candy bar comes out. And I'm all excited because a new candy bar, we've had the same 25,000 candy bars in this building the whole time. Never had a new candy bar. This is exciting. And I run over and I rip off the wrapper and it's the same candy, just has a new wrapper. It's nothing new. Crack cocaine comes out. I am excited. I'm going to be the first on my block to smoke crack cocaine. And I am. And I do. And right after I'm done, I realize, wait a minute, this is just cocaine. It's nothing new. It's a new way to ingest it, but it's still cocaine. You know, after five years, everything smells like the candy store. I burn my clothes and get a new set. They still smell like the candy store. I dump my girlfriend, get a new one. She still smells like the candy store. I can't escape the candy store. Everything I do is terrible. Seven years in, this job sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had it. And even though they don't tell me what to do, they kind of do tell me what to do. They tell me where I have to be and when I have to be there and what I have to do when I'm there. They're not directly saying, now you do this, but they are saying, now you do this. You know, when they give you a reservation and you know you're going to that hotel, you're going to fly there and you're going to have to perform these things when you're there. You know, it's not really like you can say no. And my perspective was, if you paid my coven big money for a spell, you deserve to have the spell. You know, no matter what it is, 
And so I, um, I did everything that was asking me, but after seven years, I was tired of doing this. You know, when I first started, I got to travel. I got to meet with rock stars. I got to party. I got to travel everywhere. I got to go to Bohemian Grove. I got to work with the Illuminati. But after seven years, I have to travel. I have to, I, I love magic more than anything. Now I'm tired of even doing magic. I'm addicted to it, so I keep doing it. But I'm tired of doing it. And I have to meet with rock stars. I have to go to Bohemian Grove. I have to work with the Illuminati. I don't want to do this job anymore. But the only way to get out is to die. You know, you can die of natural causes, you can commit suicide, or you can be murdered. And all three of those, I end up in hell. And I'm not ready to go to hell yet. You know, that's the end of my party. And I don't know what to do. I'm just tired of doing what I'm doing. And for the next five years, I felt like a zombie. I just felt like I was just walking through the motions. I still wore the costume. I still wore the face paint. I still did the job. But my heart wasn't in it. And after 12 years, I was done. Can't do this anymore. You know, and it wasn't that I was tired of sinning. Although probably on some level, my soul was tired of sinning. I just didn't like anything that I was doing. It was like not exciting anymore. And I'm tired of being here. You know, how many times can you see the same scenery before you want to see different scenery? You know, I, I plotted my escape for eight months. I had a bank account that had $87 million in it, but it belonged to the coven. And it was just there for show. So I couldn't touch that. I mean, they watched that really close, but they also watched my personal bank account. Anywhere my money went, they wanted to know. So, I mean, they knew what all my bills were and they knew when I paid them. And so I would pilfer money out like $5, $10, maybe $20 at a time. But, you know, it was like I'm grocery shopping. So I take an extra 10 bucks out. You know, I go and put gas in my car and buy something like a candy bar in the store, but I take out an extra 10 bucks. And I did that for eight months. So I had saved all my money. And then I made a doctor's appointment with a satanic doctor for 5 p.m. And on a Friday, so that I figured they wouldn't miss me for those three days. And for some reason, I wasn't working that weekend. So I usually worked almost every weekend. and. So I went to the doctor, but on the way there, I just kept driving. And then eventually I got off the highway and I drove through back streets and through country roads, basically. And I was on my way to a certain town and I ran out of gas on the way there. And so I spent the night in my car. The next morning I hitchhiked my way to that town, got there and sold my car for scrap, bought a Greyhound bus ticket and was going into Canada. And I got stopped at the border, and this would have been 99. No, no major anything had happened yet. The, the, the Twin Tower bombings hadn't taken place yet, so you didn't need a passport yet to get into Canada. And when I got up there, I only had my driver's license. I didn't have a passport. They told me I couldn't come in. And so Greyhound let me go wherever I wanted to go. So I opened up a United States atlas, closed my eyes, and put my finger down, and it landed on Oklahoma. So I took a bus ride to Oklahoma 
And I got there. I lived in Tulsa for three years, one year off the grid. And then two years on, I still practice magic every day, but I didn't join any companies because they're all connected. There's so many of them are connected. And you know, I plotted escape again. And then this time I bought a car and then I tried to drive into Canada again. And the only reason I tried to get into Canada was because I had only worked there once or twice. Of all the places I went, like I went to France over a hundred times, but in, in Canada, I was only there twice. So I thought there's gotta be a limited number of covens there. So maybe I'd be safe there. But now if you look at Canada, it looks like Satan's running it. I tried to get in one more time and I failed again. And I was talking to a friend and he told me that there's a border crossing near Burlington, Vermont, where there's no border guard there. I can just drive straight across. And I was like, that's the way I'm going. I'm going to do that. So I was heading that way. I was about two hours away from the border crossing. And I got so tired, I couldn't keep my eyes open. So I stopped at a rest stop and figured I'd take a nap. When I wake up, I'll do it. And when I woke up, it was the next morning. I slept. I went to bed. At, I went to sleep at like four in the afternoon. I woke up. It was like seven in the morning. So I was like, wow, I must have been really tired. So I get in my car, you know, clean myself up a little bit, then get back in my car and I drive back across. And it's two hours to get there. I crossed the border and I got pulled over by a border guard. It's not supposed to be a border guard there. So he gets me out of the car and searches my car inside and out, top to bottom. And while he's doing that, he's telling me his life story. And he tells me that he's been trying to get this job for three years. And today is his very first day on the job. And I thought, God's got a sense of humor. If I had done this yesterday, I'd be safely in Canada right now. But because I had to take a nap, now I get stopped at the border. So he rejected me, kicked me out of Canada, and... I drove to Burlington. That was about the closest major city to me. I was worth $18 and had half a tank of gas. So I wasn't going much further if I didn't go to Burlington. So I got a job in town on my first day. And I got a job as the dishwasher at Nectar's. And eventually got the job as head of security there. And then from that, moved to another bar and was the GM there. And then I moved into the mall and became a manager at Finish Line. And then from Finish Line, went to Sunglass Hut. And from Sunglass Hut, I went to Piercing Pagoda. And so at each one of these, well, Finish Line, I was manager in training. But the other two, I was general manager. So general manager at uh, Piercing Pagoda, as I said, every night I was doing magic spells. I did a magic spell one night. The next day I went into work and this woman came up looking for a pair of gold hoop earrings, said that she had somehow managed to lose a pair. She lost one. She puts them down every night on her bedstand next to the bed. And the next day she woke up and one of them was gone. She doesn't have any pets and she doesn't have any small children. So she doesn't know where it went. Now, she told me later that she thinks her guardian angel, when she meets her guardian angel in heaven, he's probably wearing one of her earrings. She comes into my store, wants to buy this. She describes what she wants, and I present her with the perfect pair. 
she's about to buy them. And then she says, well, you know, actually, I'm shopping in the mall with my daughter. I'm going to go finish that. And when I'm done, I'll come back and I'll buy these. Okay. And I put them to the side. Because I know most women that say that mean I'm going to go find it cheaper someplace else. She had an honest face. I knew she was coming back. And three hours later, she came back. We did the transaction. And I handed her the receipt. And I said, if you call the 1-800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she said, that's great. I've got something for you, too. And she reaches in her purse. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet, tell me that I'm sinning. I need to drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness and all this stuff I can't do because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. But instead, she pulls out this little cheap gold-colored piece of tin. That's strange. No one's ever handed me jewelry before. And then she tells me the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know that here on LifeSite, we love to tell amazing stories. There are a few so heroic and amazing as the story we're about to tell you that's coming soon. You got to watch this. When I was in seminary, I was reading a book by Henry Nouwen. He talked about a nuclear man, you know, and people who grew up in the 1980s were kind of formed by that immediate and constant threat of nuclear annihilation. My generation has grown up, you know, under the specter of priestly sexual abuse. What say you, Mr. Four person? Is the defendant guilty or not guilty? I think that for many of us, that has also been all-encompassing, you know, I mean, I entered the seminary in January of 2004, and it's basically been there for me from in the beginning. One priest's sacrifice for many priestly sins. The story of Father John Hollowell. Coming soon from LifeSite News. Remember that I partied with rock stars. So you give a rock star unlimited booze and drugs, and they can say some strange stuff. She said, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. I grew up Baptist. Mary gave birth to Jesus. She didn't do anything else. So I'm thinking, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia. And she says, very powerful. Protestants don't bless anything. So... This woman represents some female deity cult. I'm not interested. So many cults are connected. I don't want to join this woman's cult and find out that it's connected to one of my other covens. So I'm going to deny whatever it is she's offering me. You know, I'll take it. But, you know, I'm not going to join her coven or anything. And um, she's all giddy because I'm going to take it. But she tells me again that it's very powerful. Well, now I feel like she's kicking me in the ego. I was the high wizard. There's between two and five of us in the world, but the number could be as low as one or as high as 10. So at any one time, out of 7 billion people, I could have been the only high wizard. That's a power trip and a half. And you're trying to tell me that this blessed miraculous metal is stronger than me? No, it's not. I'm going to take this in my hand. I'm going to feel of it. I'm going to know that there's no power to it. This can't do anything to me. 
there's no power, no mystique, nothing to this. And I'm going to toss it on my floor or slam it on my counter. I'm going to tell her it's worthless. And if she wants to get offended and return the gold and get her money back, that's fine. You can do that. And if you want my regional manager's phone number and you want to call her and complain, you can do that. Because I make my days, my weeks, my months, my quarter, and my year. My boss is never going to believe that I insulted somebody. She's going to think, well, she didn't like your tie that day. She didn't like your haircut. It's something like that. She's, it's not something you said. So I'm not going to be in any trouble for what I do. I stick my hand out. She drops it in my hand and I clench my fist around it. All ready to tell her these things. Except when I clench my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappear. I'm standing in a darkened void. And it's me and this woman, Marianne Wickman. And she tells me about the magic spell I did last night. And that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches. And that's of the devil. And I've done over 100 abortions. And that's of the devil. And she says about eight or nine other sins. And she ends everything with, and that's of the devil. When I first got here, I wanted to attack her with magic. I figured one blast should do it. She'll let go and I'll be back wherever. But now that she knows all this stuff about me, you know, let's go back to me being a high wizard. And I could have been only one of 7 billion people. I didn't have the magic power to give somebody a worthless gold colored piece of 10, transport both of us to a darkened void and know all their sins. This woman's magic is stronger than mine. And if I, if I attack this woman, she's going to destroy me. I mean, what happens? I, I could also let go of the metal. But then am I just going to fall through this darkened void? I mean, what, maybe this metal is what's keeping me right here. Maybe I can somehow find my way back to my mall. But I don't see my mall anywhere. I don't see my store is gone. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm sweating. I'm scared. Uh, I, I don't know what I should do. I can't attack her. I can't even see her. I can hear her voice, but she's not there. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And instantly, like a grace by the Holy Spirit, I knew that was the Mother of God, something a former Baptist would never say. And when I realized it was the Mother of God, Mary showed up. This is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my life. And she smiled at me, and it was a smile I knew I didn't deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. And she took me by the hand, and she turned me around. And she led me to her son, Divine Mercy Jesus. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I've got these rays of light shooting out of Jesus and under me and over me and through me. And in that instant, I knew that I did not sell my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic and my new age, my Satanism, my occult was all false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me that my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand. I was back in my store, back in my mall. 
And this woman, Marianne, is still talking to me. And she tells me where she goes to mass, where she goes to daily mass and gives me the address. And her daughter comes up to the counter and she said, would you bring this man one of each of everything? So her daughter runs out to the truck. While she's talking to me, she tells me that she is Father Joseph Whalen's personal assistant in the St. Raphael healing oil ministry. And that he's the busiest priest she knows, that he doesn't even have time to talk to her. And she's the personal assistant. And after she tells me all that, her cell phone rings. And she looks at it and she goes, oh, this is Father Joe. I've got to take this. Well, you just described all that. Go ahead. So I'm standing there. Now, at that time, Father Joe was starting to go deaf. So he talked like everybody else was going deaf. So everything he said on the phone, I could hear. She's like, hello, Father Joe. Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? So she's like, certainly. She hands me the phone. I'm like, hello? Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. So I hand the phone back to her, and he hangs up on her. Then we get two more phone calls similarly. Um, one was from a nun, and she wanted to talk to me for a few minutes. And one was from a guy named Daniel, who used to be Baptist. And they were both sent text messages from Father Joe and told to call Marianne. And then her daughter comes back in with a paper grocery bag filled with like pamphlets why do catholics believe this or do that uh catholic bible and maybe not this many but it seemed like 125 lighthouse catholic media discs that day i went home my wife was in the house doing the dishes and i unlocked the door and walked in and said hey honey guess what i'm catholic now she had grown up jehovah's witnesses so when I walked in the door and announced that, she said, of all the things you could possibly be, why would you want to be Catholic? But the very next day, I started going to daily mass. And she went with me. And at the consecration, I saw Jesus. And I thought, if you were Catholic, you saw Jesus. So I thought everybody in that room saw the same thing. And I said, did you see that? She's like, what? I said, that man up there on the stage. She said, that's the priest. I said, no, the guy next to him. She's like, I don't see anything. I said, you don't see it because you're not Catholic. And then I talked to other people and they said, no, they couldn't see that either. That it was just a grace given to me. And, and then I found out that there was this place called Perpetual Adoration, where you could go and see Jesus anytime. And I was like, is there a sign-up sheet for that? Do I like sign up and then they'll call me in like a couple of years and tell me that there's a spot opened up at yours? Like, no, you just go anytime you want. And that was unfathomable to me. I mean, there's a line to get in to see Elvis and he's been dead over 40 years. You know, I went to see Pink Floyd in concert and it took eight hours for all of us to leave the stadium. You know, what do you mean there's not a line to get in? And that's crazy. You're going in there to see God and there's not a line. So and we get there. Shock number one, we're the only other car in the parking lot. Shock number two, there's no line to get in. Shock number three, we open the door. It's me, my wife, Jesus, and this woman. This woman looks up like a deer in the headlights and starts packing her stuff as fast as she can go. And if this was an Olympic event, she got gold. And then she says, 
you can't leave till someone else comes in and bam, she's out the door. Why would I leave? I'm in a room with Jesus. That became my normal hangout after that. I'd be there anywhere from 30 minutes to 18 hours a day. That was an amazing place to be. And then uh, St. Raphael was looking for me a spiritual director because Father Joe didn't have time. And they found Father Anthony Gramlich. He's the rector of the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. He agreed to be my spiritual director. And he talked to me the first time for about three hours. And he said I at least needed a deliverance and I might need an exorcism. So I went back to my priest, Monsignor Lavalle, and I told him that. And he said, um, you sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for 18 hours a day. There's no way a demon would be willing to do that. He goes, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that at your conversion, when Jesus and Mary showed up, that scared the hell out of any demon that was with you. But he says, I'll perform a deliverance. So when he performed the deliverance, I lost a satanic gift. I didn't know it was a satanic gift. I just knew that I had a gift because no one else had it. And when I got the deliverance, I lost the gift. And then it came back in a different way. That happened in January of 08. And I officially came into the church in May of 08. I started All Saints Ministry in 2010. And that ministry has taken me all over the world, but in a different capacity than I did it the first time. Amazing. What, what is the ministry? Our uh, corporate name is All Saints Catholic Ministry. But most people know us as All Saints Ministry. Mm -hmm. And what does it do? We teach the world how to fight spiritual warfare. We also talk about pro-life and we talk about that um, abortion is spiritual warfare. I have out a book and a CD set called Abortion is a Satanic Sacrifice. Uh, in the first part, it's how we got abortion in this country. Part two is what organizations I worked with to move Satan's agenda around the world. And part three, we teach you that abortion is spiritual warfare. We tell you how to fight in spiritual warfare. You cannot fight a spiritual battle physically. So we tell you through spiritual warfare how to shut down an abortion mill. And we give you places where it's worked. By the time my CD set came out, well, that came out first in December 2015. By the time that had come out, there was a group that uses our methods. And they had shut down 24 abortion mills around the United States. And now since the book has been out, and that came out in 2018, we've shut down. Now, we only know because people email us or call us to tell us, but we've shut down 49 abortion mills around the world. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Give us the nutshell version of what you do because this is not your normal uh, pro-life political activism. Um, what is it? 
prayer and fasting, doing Eucharistic procession with an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and people walking behind praying rosaries, doing an exorcism, a Catholic exorcism, and doing a mass. Four easy steps. Um, my bishop in Diocese of Wichita did those steps in 2018 in October out in front of an abortion mill. And that was it. That was in October. In December, me and my family were sitting at midnight mass at Christmas. And my friend leans over and says, Leslie Page just walked in. She's on the back pew. And after mass, we went up and we greeted her. Leslie Page was the lead abortion doctor in the abortion mill that my bishop did all that stuff in front of. And she said that she had the chance to go to a Novus Ordo Mass, but she had a burning desire to go to a Latin Mass, which is what mine was. And she said she hadn't been to Latin Mass in 57 years. And after going to that, she quit being an abortion doctor and she moved out of town. So now she lives in a different town. I'm hoping and praying that she's Catholic. I mean, she was Catholic before, but she'd stopped practicing her faith. You know, I'm hoping that that Latin mass brought her back and all the, um, you know, all the steps that my bishop took has made her good Catholic again. But that's the power of doing those things is that it popped that satanic bubble for one day and made her come back to a Latin mass. You know, think of what it could do if you kept doing it. You know, there's other places where the abortion mills are shut down completely because of doing that. Zachary, we're going to need to have you back on if you're open to that to talk more about this. But tell us right now, where can people find your book? It's in two places. It's on Amazon and it's also at allsaintsministry.org. You come to my website and I have a store site there. And my book and my CD set are available there. Plus, I have some other CDs and DVDs as well. Whoa, what a wild ride. Thank you for taking us on it. We're going to have you back on to uh, talk more about this abortion aspect, how to end abortion, The that it is a satanic sacrifice, which your book goes into. We have a life funder up for your ministry. And so I encourage people to go there and support what Zachary's doing. Any final words for us, Zachary, before we end off? I want the world to know, I want to reiterate that you cannot sell what you don't own. You know, that if you think you've sold your soul to the devil, you have not. You know, you have salvation waiting for you. All you've got to do is go to confession, give your will back to God, and you'll be free. Zachary, God bless you. Thank you for sharing your story and uh, for being, um, wow, a warrior in a fight which you know lots about, which is hidden from many people. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.